Oh man, happy new year. Um, you know, it's been an amazingly long 2020. Happy holidays to everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast, the last one of the year 2020. We made it. Thank God. Today we'll be wrapping up our year on the Bakari Sellers podcast with uh, my Morehouse brother and quarterback guru, Quincy Avery. So we're talking football today, particularly the evolution of the quarterback position and the emergence of the black quarterback, which is why we are interviewing Quincy today, because Quincy is the leading quarterback coach in the country. He's coaching the next generation of black quarterbacks, and we get a chance to talk about Dwayne Haskins, which leads me to my next point. In case you missed it, the Washington football team released Dwayne Haskins this week, a rare move only two years into his four-year rookie contract. Now, here's the deal. Uh, Dwayne has some real lapses in judgment. He was pictured maskless at a party during a pandemic. It was really a strip club. His production wasn't up to par. He sucked. He wasn't available for his press availability after the Panthers game on Sunday. And yes, he made mistakes for sure. And hopefully he'll learn from them and grow from them. But where I take issue with this isn't Haskins' behavior. It's the responses of black football commentators who should know better. And instead of recognizing that a 23-year-old made 23-year-old mistakes, some commentators, particularly ESPN's Anthony Booger McFarlane, took this opportunity to take a swipe at black athletes. Here's the clip. You know, unfortunately, I've seen this too many times. Played in the NFL almost a decade. You played a long time. We've been around it for a long time. And oftentimes, young players, especially, and I'm going to go here, especially young African-American players, because they make up 70% of this league. They come into this league and they ask themselves the wrong thing. They come into the league saying not, how can I be a better player? They don't say, how can I be a better teammate? They don't say, how can I be better, a better person? How can I get my organization over the hump? Here's what they come in saying. They come in saying, how can I build my brand better? How can I build my social media following better? How can I work out on Instagram and show everybody that I'm ready to go, but when I get to the game, I don't perform. Dwayne Haskins, unfortunately, is not the first case that I've seen like this. Yes. It, and, and it won't be the last. And it, it bothers me because a lot of it is the young African-American player. They come in and they don't take this as a business. It is still a game to them. Look at it as a football. It, this ain't football, right. man. This is a billion dollar business. Yes. It's billions of dollars. They pay us a lot of money to talk about the game. So imagine what they pay these guys the to play, play the game. Yes. Yeah. They play a child's game to get paid a king's ransom, and, and, and it bothers me because I saw a quarterback do it. I saw Jamarcus Russell do it. The number one pick in the draft, they gave him $40 million, and he threw it down the damn drain because he didn't take it seriously. So there's so much here wrong with this statement, but I'll do the best I can in unpacking this bullshit because he started off as Booger McFarlane and ended up sounding like Jason Whitlock. First, it's not clear that these comments even apply to Dwayne Haskins. Unlike countless other quarterbacks in the league, Haskins has no brand to speak of. And before his lapses in judgment, he was the team captain, and folks were generally positive on him as a teammate. But he's a kid who had lapses in judgment, and like many NFL quarterbacks, need more time to develop. But it's a business, and the Washington football team made a decision based on his recent actions. But the swipe at black athletes and trotting out Jamarcus Russell every time a black quarterback doesn't meet expectations is bullshit. For black commentators like Booger McFarlane, your words matter. And we actually expect black commentators to bring some nuance to these conversations that involve black players. 
because Johnny Manziel and Paxton Lynch and countless other white quarterbacks are often held to a different standard. And even in cases like Haskins, where he clearly made mistakes, we have to acknowledge that these decisions by football teams are made against the backdrop of the thinner margin for error for black quarterbacks and double standards that simply don't exist for white quarterbacks. Regurgitating front office talking points like so many black commentators on ESPN are doing without providing this context that black former NFL players and commentators should be providing diminishes your value as a commentator because if you're saying what any white commentator would say, why are you there? Lots of players have brands. That ain't the issue. It was one of poor judgment that we hope this brother will recover from. But what he doesn't need are black faces with bad takes that don't even really apply to the situation, pile onto black quarterbacks that we all already know are held to a different standard. Keep that energy when you talk about the double standards, which I don't think I've ever heard Booger McFarlane talk about. And the fact that every black quarterback that doesn't meet your expectations isn't Vince Young or Jamarcus Russell, like every Josh Rosen isn't Ryan Leaf. And that's that on that. Now on to our conversation with my brother, Quincy Avery. My brother, Quincy Avery, it has been too long. We should have had you on the show for a minute now, but I'm glad to welcome you to the Bakari Sellers Podcast. What's going on, my brother? What up, what up, what up? I'm good. How you been? I'm doing good, man. You, you've come a long way from being a, a possession slot wide receiver at Morehouse College. <laughs> Uh, running a running a four nine out there. Uh, you sound like a hater. <laughs> <laughs> to buying your mom a house uh, for yeah. Christmas, man. How does that feel, man? Pops to you, everybody on the show. We we appreciate that, man. And I just want to show you some love. How does that feel to be able to now be in a position to to buy your mom a house? It was it was amazing. I, I feel like I mean everybody doesn't really probably know my journey, but I was I was literally living between my car and a locker room for over a thousand days of my life. So to be able to go from that point to be able to give my mom a check for the rest of her house, um, it, it, it was something that um, I, it's really hard to describe how proud um, and how good you feel being able to do something like that coming from where I've come from. Well, let's talk about the arc of your career and your coaching career, because you just talked about that journey and, and a lot of people, if you want to know more, that we don't cover on this on this episode. And we're going to cover a lot. Uh, the Washington Post profiled my brother Quincy not long ago. But after Morehouse, when you and I met, um, you spent three years as a grad assistant at UCLA, and then you ventured out on your own to start QB Takeover. Talk about how you made the decision to go what from what could have been a traditional career in coaching to being a private quarterback coach. Yeah, so as I was coaching at UCLA, I just started to see more and more that people were really, really concerned with the just the winning games, not as much the people who were involved uh, on the team or in the team dynamic. So my passion has always been about caring about people, helping them achieve their goals and helping them be the best version of themselves. And I also knew that I could have a large influence if I was working with the best quarterbacks because I thought they're the most influential people in all of team sports. So I'm like, let me help impact the people who impact the most people in all sports. So I decided to get away from the traditional coaching route and venture into privately training quarterbacks, but I didn't really understand how difficult that would be to make that transition from coaching like people talk about um, and getting into the private coaching sector. 
for people who might be less familiar with what a private quarterback coach does, talk about how quarterbacks now to have private coaches in addition to their team coaches. Yeah, so a lot of times in the team team component, like I was talking about, they care about winning games. So they care about scheme, like the X's and O's. What are we trying to do on this play in terms of where should he throw it? I'm the person who helps them actually be able to throw it, be able to navigate the pocket. Um, the pocket is just like how you move um, inside uh, uh, the the refined area for where the quarterback. I mean, that's that that's that cone, that's that cone shit you be doing out there. Yeah, I can do that I'll, too. I'll, my, my ankles, I'm good. I'm limber. I've I can, seen you I can, hoop. I've seen you hoop, so let's not take this too First far. Of all, you're too little. <laughs> I could still give you thirty, but that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, so all the little stuff. I just help quarterbacks not only become better better throwers of the football, but I help them with their confidence. I make them the most confident people that they can be. So let's talk about your client roster because some people may may be like, who is this Quincy Avery cat? Like, what is he? I mean, what is Bakari talking about? So I don't think that people realize that you are the premier quarterback coach in the country. Deshaun Watson, Joshua Dobbs, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields. Dwayne Haskins, Jamie Newman are all your clients. Your client roster is the future of the position, literally. How did you build a roster like this, and how do you build the kind of trust with players and their families? Because that's, as we that's know, a that's a big the, part. <laughs> uh, to do the work that you're doing. And shout out to your uh, your young your young bull from Liberty, too. I can't remember that kid's name. But Malik that kid, Willis. Malik yeah. Willis, that, that kid can go. He's special. He's special. <laughs> he, he, he can play. But how do you build that type of roster? I was fortunate on a couple, like I, I, I fell into, I didn't fall into Joshua Dobbs, but that was the first guy that I started training. And I did that just through messaging people nonstop, trying to get them to come out and train with me. And he was the first one to say, all right, let's make it happen. We'll try it. And then from there, I got, I was fortunate enough to get on what's called elite 11. So that's the best high school quarterbacks in all of the country. They come out every year to go to a specific camp. And I, and I, and I got on that staff through my work with Joshua Dobbs and met Deshaun, right? So at that point, I got the two best black quarterbacks in all of, not the black, I got the two best quarterbacks in all of Georgia, right? And then people are starting to look at me differently, like if he can help these guys develop to be the best quarterback in one of the most talent-rich states um, in all the country, then he must be doing something right. So I just continue to build, but the thing that, that creates more of an authentic or real relationship with quarterbacks with me is that they know that I care about them as people, right? We're not just talking about on the field stuff. We're talking about off the field things. How's their relationship with their girlfriend? You know, all the things that yeah. a big brother would help you walk through um, those things in life. In something like the trade with DeAndre Hopkins, I'm there with Deshaun when that happens. And me and him are, are trying to navigate that together. Like, how does he feel about it? What steps does he need to take? Like all those things. I get to play an intricate part in because I've shown that I cared about them as people more so than as football players. And it's transformed who I am into, I guess, a prominent person in the space, but it's all authentic because I care about the guys that I work with. Man, how was that conversation? Tell me about that. When Deshaun found out that <laughs> D-Hop was gone, I mean, other than the curse words of to Bill O'Brien, we don't have to care about protecting his feelings no more. They left him out there with three Bukhari Sellers playing wide receiver. Man, he out there with practice Fuller. squad and, right and, now. And Will, and Will Fuller. I mean, that was it. Yeah, it was wild. Nah, we, we, were, we were in the gym literally working out, like just training. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm super fit. So I like to work out <laughs> with my corner. <laughs> so I like to work out with my QB. So me, me and Deshaun are working out. And then it pops up on my phone. He's in the middle of the set. I'm like, yo. I'm like, yo, D-Hob just got traded. And he was shook. Like, that was the end of the workout. He was pretty frustrated. I probably made a fumble and put it on Twitter at the exact time. Like I was recording when I told him, I thought it'd be funny, but 
not realizing that it's a, the quarterback of the Houston Texans. So I was tripping. Um, but he was, he was frustrated, to say the least. He was pissed off. Uh, immediately went to his phone and started having the conversation he needed to have. But it was, it was a, a unique, unique time. Let's talk about one of your clients really quickly in Dwayne Haskins. Mm-hmm. Obviously, folks are aware that he was released by the Redskins this week, a rare release of a first-round pick after two years. What does Dwayne need from his next team to ensure that he reaches his potential? I'm I'm not sure if we put as much of it on his next team. I think that we need to put um, a line share of this on Dwayne. What does Dwayne need to do to be successful with his next team and his next organization? And to me, that is taking steps in terms of your maturity, right? And and I understand he's only 23, and we all made mistakes, and and we we had shortcomings at 23, not being as mature as we should have been. It's just difficult when you're not as mature as you need to be for a role and you're the CEO of a billion-dollar company, and that's what they're asking quarterbacks to do. Um, So he has to understand the gravity of the position that he's in, and I think that he understands that better now, and he has to understand the requirements of the work ethic and the details that go into being a quarterback of of an NFL team. And I think that he's going to be able to do that and be very successful because he still remains one of the most talented people that I've ever I been. I was going to ask you that. I mean, you, you, you're a quarterback coach. Can the boy can the boy play? He's so talented. Dwayne has all the talent in order to be successful at, at the position. So if we know that he has a talent, if he takes the right steps in terms of maturity, doing things in the locker room and doing the film and study work that he needs to do in order to be successful, um, I think that his career can take a major turn. Like, you don't get drafted with the 15th pick for no reason. And it's kind of wild because we talk about maturity, but his own teammates made him a captain. So there must have been something there. So I'll say that I think he showed flashes of the maturity yeah, okay. needed to. He did work really hard on the physical component this offseason. But he I looked think like he was in great shape. I mean, when I was looking at y'all, he, he looked it, he looked like a stud. And he was. And I, I think that there's so much of, of the quarterback position that isn't just the physical component. And I'm not sure if he was aware of that. And and I'm not sure that I did a good enough job imparting the wisdom on him to help him so he can make make those steps. So I look at myself a little bit, like what could I have done better to help him thrive and be successful in those situations? But those are real honest conversations he'll have to have with himself at this time um, so he can turn his career around. Um, yeah. Because I'm I'm excited about it for him. Like this is an opportunity that he's facing. And you get a chance to to turn things around in a way that many others don't. I mean, I, I'm pulling for the kid. I, I, what do you think about uh, before we we're going to get into Booger's comments? But before we get the book, before we get the Booger's <laughs> comments, I want to. What do you think about people kind of questioning now the type of product or the quarterback that uh, the type of quarterback that Ohio State puts out? People are all asking, and or Urban Meyer. People are saying, can Urban Meyer put out a good quarterback, or does Ohio State put put out good quarterbacks? So what do you think about just with this example and Cardell Jones and the list goes on and on and on, what, what this means for the future of the Ohio State quarterback or the Urban Meyer quarterback? Yeah, I think that's silly um, in large part. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Urban Meyer also coached Alex Smith, who's been really successful in the NFL. But he transformed the way that he was playing and calling plays and the guys that he recruited. And a lot of those guys weren't necessarily fit to play in the NFL. JT Barrett wasn't a fit to be an NFL quarterback. Cardell Jones was somebody who really only played three or four games. Like he wasn't the starting quarterback. And 
And the reason that he wasn't playing at Ohio State are the same reason that he wasn't successful in the NFL. So let's think about that. So those are three guys. And then Dwayne, who was a quarterback who has all the tools and abilities to play in the NFL. And he, he wasn't not successful because he went to Ohio State. Um, Gerald Burrow also went to Ohio State. And I think that a, a large foundation and the reason that Joe Burrow is successful is because of his time spent at Ohio State with Ryan Day, who's now their head coach. So I think that the future of Ohio State quarterbacks um, in the NFL is very, very bright. You have Justin Fields coming up, and then you have somebody after him named C.J. Shroud, um, who was a true freshman this year, who's going to be an NFL quarterback. So they're going to have four quarterbacks in a row drafted to the NFL. And I think that you're going to see a lot of these guys turn it around um, and show that they are um, – Ohio State can make great quarterbacks. Man, and at University of South Carolina, we can't even keep a quarterback from – they only get drafted into the transfer portal. Man, <laughs> what type of bullshit is this? I, I, blame, us a I blame you. You haven't <laughs> sent us a quarterback yet. Let, let's talk about the disappointing shit we got from Booger McFarland's mouth. At what point do you think black quarterbacks will get the same privilege of not meeting expectations like Paxton Lynch, Johnny Menzel, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen – because I don't hear white quarterbacks getting compared to Ryan Leaf every time they don't meet expectations. Yeah, that's so disappointing. I, I, I couldn't be more frustrated that someone like Booger would get up on national TV and talk about black quarterbacks as if one person's, one person's ear and not major ears, right? He did things in terms of maybe not getting to the facility early enough, not studying his playbook early enough or, or hard enough. It wasn't that he was drunk driving. He didn't hurt anybody. He didn't do anything that truly affected people in a negative way other than maybe the guys on his team in terms of not winning games. But then to him go on and cast a shadow on all black quarterbacks or all black players is that the reason that we are not successful is because we don't care or we don't work hard enough and we don't care about the game. On his face, it's patently false. I work with these guys every single day. I see how much work people like Deshaun puts in in order to be one of the best quarterbacks in the world. I see Josh Dobbs, who hasn't got a chance to start an NFL game yet, go out and work his ass off every single day, every opportunity he came to study and prepare like a star. I see all these different guys. There's so many black quarterbacks doing so many good things for one guy to have small missteps and him typecast us as a large community. It's really, really frustrating. And we're not getting the credits for him to say, man, black quarterbacks are really, really great because Patrick Mahomes did this or Kyler Murray did this or Lamar Jackson did this someone who we said shouldn't even be playing quarterback in the NFL. Like he's so wrong on so many different levels. And it's so frustrating to see somebody be the antithesis of everything that I care about and everything that I work for in terms of the black quarterback in this position and how we're looked at. So seeing that um, is more than frustrating. I mean, I call this comments dangerous because now white GMs are going to be asking the same questions and bringing up the same points that he made on Monday night football to people like Justin Fields. I mean, it hurts down the line. He's trying to take money out of young black people's pockets is what he's doing. Um, and he I, just doesn't think, even I, I just think that, that he became old real quickly. And, you know, the whole build a brand thing just threw me off. I mean, that for me didn't necessarily make any sense. A lot of these guys go in. Deshaun Watson is a whole brand. I mean, I, that may not be his goal, but he's a, he's not, he, he is he a owns franchises. He, he's a face of companies. He does all those different things. And, to knock somebody because they also care about how people perceive them. Um, when, when people like Booger go up there and talk about people when they perceive them the wrong way, we have to be conscious of our brands, especially as black quarterbacks. I think that it's important 
And it's not as if we can only do one thing. We can care about both care about our brand and care about winning. We can care about our brand and care about working hard. Correct. And him just doing all those things in the offseason, displaying him working hard, shouldn't be a knock on him. He's 22, 23 years old. He cares about the same thing that every other 22 and 23-year-old cares about, and that's how they're perceived by others. So let's talk about the evolution of the position and the evolution of offenses. I'm old enough to remember when high schools ran the wing T, uh, but RPOs and spread offenses are now common in high school and middle schools, really. So it stands to reason that there's more of a premium on the person touching the ball every play and your quarterback being the best athlete on an offense as well. Talk about how the quarterback position has evolved and how that evolution informs how you coach your clients. Because right now you're not coaching people to fake to the fullback, take two steps back and pitch it to the, you know, we're not running <laughs> options no more. Talk, talk about how you train and the evolution of the position. Yeah, that, that game has changed. Um, it changed. We used to look for this six, five white guy who stood in the pocket, had a big arm, didn't care if he could move or not. And he could just throw the ball down the field. Now that guy does not even get the opportunity to play quarterback and not, not saying he doesn't get the opportunity to play quarterback because we're not looking for white guys, but because we need somebody who can move. If you can't add a dimension in the game in terms of moving the ball with your legs, creating space for defenders and creating room in the pocket, offensive coordinators are not good enough to call the right play all game for you to be successful. So you need another element at the quarterback position when everything that the defense does is right they create it with their legs and they can get a first down or they can extend the play and throw a big touchdown down the field. And we see that um, week in and week out from guys like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson and even Mahomes, like the big, the big pass he threw last year when they called blocks with the big fake post to the corner. It was because he created in the pocket and extended the play. That makes sense. I, I mean, I probably could be a, if I went back in time, you know, I'm thinking. <laughs> do, be, do people know how tall you are? I don't like, think so. Six, five and a half. I mean, that's, that's statuesque for the pocket with a little, I can move a little bit. I just may only be 165. So that also, I am actually, (laughs) I'm I'm two, I'm two twelve now. Thank you. I I am fit now. Let's talk about black quarterbacks because you tutor a lot of black quarterbacks. Your roster represents the premier young black quarterbacks in the country. Based on your experience with your clients, talk about the unique challenges associated with the perception of black quarterbacks, kind of piggybacking on your last comment that they're quote run first quarterbacks. And they're simply, quote, athletes, not quarterbacks. And if we're being real, some professional teams, they're hesitant to draft black quarterbacks because of the perception or or, or these perception issues that really just sound like, I don't know, racism couched in GM and scout speak. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting trying to balance the ability to be so dynamic with your legs, right, and really be able to truly create and, and add more to a football game with your ability to run and not trying to be typecast as a dual threat quarterback or somebody who's there to both run and throw. And you see how black people are looked at or black quarterbacks are looked at. And I go back to this story all the time. There was an opportunity that Sean was playing the Tennessee Titans two years ago. Um, and he scrambles around in the pocket and throws a deep ball down the field. And it's completed for 60 yards where the time expires in the time from the, when he was scrambling to the throw. And then there's a superintendent said, that's why we can't trust black quarterbacks, right? And, and that lets you know all that we need to know about black quarterbacks. People think that we're not smart enough to play the game because of all the other things that we can do. So we continue to have to try and do more, show more. I remember Deshaun going into press conferences and explaining defenses in these oh, meetings. Yeah. yeah to, but does he do that if he's a white quarterback? Does he have to show people how much he knows 
And that's after the Carolina Panthers game where he didn't have a great game, but he was doing all those things and be like, you guys need to understand that I know this. I know this as well as anybody else. I'm one of the 32 best people in all the world doing what I'm doing. And I do it at a higher level than all of you. So don't question me because I put in the work during the week. And, and him to have to show that, to confirm to people that he's able to do the things as a quarterback to be successful was mind-blowing to me. And it was also frustrating that people would even take a look at him as if he wasn't prepared or if he was not good enough to do those things. Yeah, it was dope. Deshaun came on this show. He was my first guest uh, on the Bakari Sellers podcast, and he did the same thing. He was able to break down some plays, and I was like, wow. I thought I knew something sitting on my sofa. This, this I mean, it's, <laughs> it's brilliant. But talk. let me ask you this question. I got to ask this because, you know, Bill Simmons, you know, I am on the ringer, and Bill Bill and I, he, he – uh, I think his heart is breaking. I, since the Patriots ain't doing shit, he's like in a special place right now. Tell me, can we fix Cam Newton, or is Cam Newton – D-U-N. Is he done? And so, I love Cam. I think Cam is a fascinating athlete. I think he's like the LeBron James of football, but he looks broken right now. I'm going to talk, I'm going to explain kind of why I think Cam is broken. And, and I saw him this summer and I saw him do some things and I was actually pretty impressed. And I think that he was throwing the ball fairly well prior to his COVID, right? But Cam is also somebody who has to do a tremendous, spend a tremendous amount of time working on his fundamentals in order for him to stay consistent and stay at the level in which he needs to be to throw at a high level. When he got COVID, he spent two weeks away from the game. He could not throw. So all of the fundamentals that he worked so hard on this past offseason to get to a level in which he could be successful, those went away, and he went back to a lot of the things that injured Cam did in order to just get the ball down the field. He's not throwing his fluid, and I think a lot of that comes from him just falling back on old tendencies. So I think if he goes through a real offseason this year and really gets to develop on his game, it really gets to work on how is he going to throw the ball in the way that he needs to, he can be successful again. But he has to not only do that, but work on that throughout the season. And people do not know that as an NFL quarterback, you don't ha have the opportunity to work on fundamentals, right? That's not something that happens during the week. So after he lost that, he kind of went wayward, but I think that this offseason he can turn some things around, and I hope that he's given another opportunity to show people just how talented he is and that he can throw the ball at the NFL level. But watching him right now, I see the same things that many others do. And it, I mean, it he's skipping the ball. I mean, he's missing receivers by eight, nine yards. And I just thought I it was a confidence him. thing. No, I saw him in pregame warm-up, and, and the angles that his body body's at in terms of prior to his throw – don't put him in a position where he's going to be able to throw the ball successfully. So it's not that he's unfixable. It's just that he definitely needs to go get some structure and, and get touched up. And, uh, you hear that, Cam? You need to get touched up, my brother. Come call Quincy. Man. and let's, let's, <laughs> nah, let's, let's. Not, I love Cam, so I'm not trying to throw shots. I'm really trying. I, I think that he can be successful. I mean, I, I hope he gets another chance. Just like I, I'm, I'm sure Dwayne's going to get a chance because you can pick him up on waivers. It makes financial sense. And I was hoping that, you know, Cam threw for 300 yards against the, the Seahawks this year in the first game of the season. I mean, yeah, it was the Seahawks. Looked, it was the Seahawks whose defense was struggling, but he looked like the guy um, who he knew and loved. And, and watching him play that way lets us know that it's there. And I'm afraid of all these hits he's taken. But, Bill, that was for you. We we I think he's going to be done in <laughs> – uh, New England, but I do think there's one team that will give Cam Newton a chance. You heard it here first. I think the Washington football team, 
uh, because of Ron Rivera will give him a There's chance. There's no chance. There's no chance. I think that his personality is too strong. And this is not, I just don't think that that's a place that he ends up. Um, we'll have to see who the Patriots, who can they draft, right? I think that there's four first round quarterbacks. Who are those four um, first round quarterbacks? You got Trevor, Justin, Trey, and the guy from BYU. Uh, what's his oh, name? I don't know. No, I don't know his name either. He's really, really talented. And I should know his name, but I've never worked with him. So I don't be paying attention. I ain't trying to work with him. So. He's not my, <laughs> not, not, nothing, no, not. He's just not my kind of guy. So you got the kid from, you said Trey. That's the kid from North Dakota State, right? Mm-hmm. Can he go like that? Yes, sir. He's, he's so talented. I, I think people talk about, people saw what Josh Allen's doing right now. They see that. Trey is not only more athletic than him, but I think he's a naturally better thrower. Is he that big? He's Josh not Allen as heavy. Josh Allen Josh, is huge. He's a truck. He's 6'4", 238. But if you watch the way that Trey Lance runs with the football, he can do all those things that he's doing. Um, and he's just more athletic, right? He has more shift to him. He can create more space. And he's a naturally better thrower of the football. And he, he threw the ball at a higher percentage in college, which is usually a really good testament to who somebody's going to be in the NFL. And he doesn't turn the ball over. So he's doing all, all the good things that Josh Allen was doing in college. And he has those talents. And I, I think that, He's going to go somewhere, and he's the most disciplined worker that I've ever been around at that young of age. So he's going to go somewhere and be ready right now, day one. Who's going to have a better NFL career, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields? And I know it matters about what team drafts you and all that other stuff, what situation. We do know Trevor's going to be in Jacksonville, so good luck with that. But just based on pure talent, because Trevor's also huge, and he got that deception. Oh, deceptive speed, you call it. Is that because he's white? Yeah, I, I, I'm, using my, I'm using my coded coded language here. <laughs> yeah, Justin is a physical presence, right? He, he's actually slimmed up a little bit, but their arms are very, very comparable. And I think that Justin's actually been asked to do more from a processing place at Ohio State than Trevor's been asked to do um, at Clemson. So I think that Justin is going to come in more ready to play in the NFL. I truly believe that. So we'll have a more successful first season. But I think it's really, really close in terms of the talent. I, I'm, of course, I'm going to go with Justin because I spent more time with him. I think that he's going to be more successful. But I think in terms of talent, I don't think it is. It shouldn't be this clear clutch cut. Trevor's the number one quarterback. And that's what and people are trying to make. Yeah. yeah and they're, they're talking about um, the second quarterback being the guy from BYU. And I'm, I'm absolutely flabbergasted how he could jump both Trey and Justin. It does not make sense to me. Um, and I think that people are going to make a grave mistake not looking at those two the way that they should. Look, before I get you out of here, I, I want to let, let's talk about this kind of new environment we're in. You, you talk about your clients having a voice because they're not just the faces of programs and franchises, but they're black men who see themselves in George Floyd and see a country that doesn't necessarily value their lives and value their ability to play football. What are those conversations like with your clients when they're faced with embracing their voices as black men, when they have coaches, front offices, and fans that just want them to shut up and play football? And I know that you, I think the one of the more, I guess, sensitive or delicate situations was, you know, Dabo and, and, and Deshaun and how Deshaun nav navigated that situation. So talk to me about just how you coach them up, what you tell them. 
I, I try to get them to just think about where they were prior to where they are today and, and think about how all these things would have affected them if they weren't as successful as they are now, right? Because they don't, they're not going to catch the same treatment that Correct. you or I are going to catch, right? So right. I, I just ask them to look at things from a larger view, more of a 360, 30,000 square foot view and think about the things that they're saying and how those words impact so many people because oftentimes they're the most powerful people in their community, in their city. Um, and, and the things that they say, people have to take credence to. They're going to have to listen to what Deshaun says in the city of Houston. It was so important for him to go walk with George Floyd's family when that happened. Yeah. Or for him, this is the first time I ever saw him step up and say things about the way that Black people were treated. And two years ago, I remember him saying that he didn't want to get involved in things like that. But as he became more mature and saw how things were playing out in this country, you see him being more, more vocal about things that are going on and, and being more passionate and caring more about the issues that are taking place. And I think that that's really important that someone gain that level of security, knows that they're financially straight for the rest of their life. But it's like, I'm still going to go step out on a limb and I'm going to show people that I care about all the other things that they're going through so that we can try and make a difference for Black people as a whole to make sure people know that not just me, but my little brother, my little cousin, they matter too, because now they're in a really nice neighborhood. Yeah. How are they going to treat them when the cops roll up on them and their quaint subdivision where people are like, oh, let me let me be careful <laughs> when, I, when I see them walking through here. So he's got to care about all those things and they all have to care about it. My last question is something that is near and dear to both of our hearts, certainly. It's about HBCU football. We saw Ooh. how uh, Georgia students and the favoritism from Kirby Smart's staff in Athens drove Justin Fields out. We see black quarterbacks balancing their responsibilities as team leaders and as black men embracing their voice and platform. And you had the benefit of playing ball at an HBCU and attending the only black college for black men in Morehouse. Do you think that more elite black talent would benefit from playing at HBCUs where they're where players can develop their voices and their politics on campuses that value them both as black men and black athletes. I think I know the answer to this, but I want to hear what you're going to say. That's a really tough question for me. And I think that people are going to be frustrated by my answer because oftentimes the top quarterbacks and the top players are going to these colleges for the opportunity to play in the NFL. So until black colleges are putting the things in place for them to reach their dreams and goals and their aspirations and putting the infrastructure in place for them to be as successful on the football field as they are at producing successful black men in business, in the yeah. medical field, um, in politics. Like, we do a great job of producing all those different things, but we don't put the resources behind right. um, our athletes. So until we do that, I, I couldn't recommend in, in good faith that the top black athletes go to HBCUs. And it's not because that we are not going to develop them, them in all the other ways because I think that we're going to do a better job than anybody else. However, on the football field, with the resources we have, I couldn't tell them to do that. Yeah. You hear that, Jackson State, South Carolina State. South Carolina State got a monster quarterback, so you need to check him out. Young kid, he can flat out, he can go. But I want to say a special shout out. I love my brother Quincy Avery. He's one of the dopest in the business. Get, tell Earl I said what's happening. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you, brother. Thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. 
man, that was a great episode. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you, man, make sure that y'all are eating your black eyed peas and collard greens because some of y'all didn't do that on New Year's Day and you could tell that fucked up all of 2020. So make sure you do it so we get it right in 2021. Thank you to our guests who've given us countless memorable conversations. Thank you to uh, our phenomenal production team, especially Kaya. Thank you so much, Kaya. We love you here on the show. You're part of the family. Uh, thank you to Bill Simmons and the Ringer and Spotify families for giving me this platform to bring unique voices to cover the conversations of the day from sports to culture to politics. And finally, and most importantly, thank you to the subscribers and listeners who download us every week and share with family and friends. Thank you. Keep listening. Keep sharing. and Keep sending me guest ideas. I literally could not do this without you. And thank you to Sadie and Stokely, who we taped during their nap time, who have remained quiet during this taping. And that's a wrap for us here on the Bakari Sellers podcast for 2020. We'll see you next year. <laughs>